As you see, uh, Pastor Jim's still on vacation. Hopefully, somewhere's in the sand where it's nice and warm, and uh, not out here dealing with this stuff. And uh, we uh, pray that he just has a refreshing time uh, as he's away. Anyways, last week we talked uh, some about the uh, Luke chapter 16, and the first uh, chapter, part of the chapter talks about the manager. We talked about being uh, stewards or managers of our own lives, in our own marriages, with our own kids, our own jobs, and how our stewardship should reflect that of Christ. We should love our wives according to the scripture. Uh, Jesus gave the church everything they needed to spiritually and physically survive. That's what we should give our spouse. Um, the scripture says wives should submit to their husbands. also says submit to one another. So the household works better if the two are working together. Um, and it works a lot better if both of them are born again and serving God. Then we went on to uh, talk to, we finished all of 16 and there was a part in here that the Pharisees took offense to. And I really want to just touch on that one more time here. And let's see. It's a 16th chapter of Luke, and it's verse 14. It says, The Pharisees who love money heard all these things and sneered at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of of other, so, but God knows your heart. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Well, the Pharisees believed that if you were financially successful, you were right in the eyes of God. Sounds like prosperity preaching to me all over again. So if you're going to talk bad about money and I'm rich, it's going to kind of offend me. So I tell people all the time, don't let your money control you, but control your money. Then we talked about the rich man and Lazarus. But tonight we're going to start over and we're going to go to the 17th chapter. A lot of times in the Bible, you know, people said, well, I want the word of God to speak to me. That's fine. It will. But the word of God is to change us, not us to change the word of God. It's not to justify our lifestyle, our sin, but the Word of God cannot change you if we're not in it. So we need to be in our Word. We need to be reading, praying, seeking God, because it doesn't do you any good sitting on a shelf. And unfortunately, too many people I hear uh, when I was associate pastor stuff, one of the common things a pastor hears is why well, I don't feel like I'm not getting fed. And I'm like, you come to church once a week. How much feeding can I give you? You got to feed yourself. And too many people in the body of Christ are starving spiritually because they're not reading the word. God's called us to a higher standard of living than the church has achieved. You see all these mega churches and big churches and everybody flocks to them. And we forget some of the scriptures like forbid not the gathering together of the saints. And I remember years ago talking to a lady and she belonged to one of the bigger churches of the Springs. And we got to chat and I was trying to witness to her and found out she was recently born again. She was saved for about two years. She had her own company and so I'm talking to her and her husband. And she brought up what church she was going to. And I said, you know, my problem with the bigger churches, it seems like everybody goes there to hide out. And she lowered her head, shook her head. She goes, why did you have to say that? And I go, well, I'm not trying to offend you. It's just what I found over time. And she said, well, God spoke to me and told me he's tired of us hiding out in the bigger churches. Well, now I notice a big trend is to meet in big buildings, have a big screen up, have someone preaching from another state and, uh, or Denver or somewhere. As you meet there, you see them on the overhead. And that's fine if you're somewhere and you can't get the word of God and, or you really want to hear a certain message. But you really need to belong to a body where you can grow with people where you can have people pray with you, where they know Steve or Barry or Ed. Or, 
that people know you by name. And I had a lady say, well, you don't understand. He's got a, such a big church over there. He's got to be do something right. And I go, well, do me a favor. When you need prayer, go see him. She looked at me. Well, I won't be able to see him. Exactly. He's in another state. Do you think he can fly one of his associate pastors up here to pray with you? We're missing the human element in this. Where iron sharpens iron. Where we can love on one another. You're not going to get it just by TV ministry. So as a body of Christ, we do need to come together. It helps every one of us. Helps me when I see my Brother Ed, and he'll come up and give me a hug, or Dan, or one of the ladies say hi, Dwayne. You know, it's, it makes me feel like I belong. You're not going to belong if all you do is TV ministries. Now, in saying that, when I was in Utah for several months, I tried a couple churches out there. No, not uh, not uh, a Mormon. I wouldn't go to a Mormon. I don't even consider it a church, but. Uh, I went to a church out there thinking, okay, I went online, I read everything about the church, I go, cool, at least I'll get a little fellowship because I'm stuck here for three weeks, so, and I went, and he never preached the message out of the Word of God, and I'm sitting there waiting for a message, like, okay, give me something, and all he could say was God gave him a word, he was going to deliver a word, it's a powerful word, and he's going to give it next week, well, that doesn't do me any good for today. And then the more he spoke, the more I knew it was going to be about being blessed in God. You know, God's not worried about your bank account. He's worried about your soul. Too many times we focus in on our bank account. God's worried about the soul. He's worried about each one of us to grow closer to him and closer to one another. Do you guys ever have struggle in life? Or am I the only one that has struggles? Anybody here perfect? You know, I I look at uh, the 12 disciples as a motley crew, and I have to say, I look around here, and I think we're a motley crew too, but one that God highly loves, and he cares for every one of us, but we need one another. That's where our strength comes from, is we need one another. We need to be part of the body. So, and saying that, be part of the body. Ten church. Anyways, in chapter 17, Luke, Luke is a beloved physician, and he seems to focus in on finer details. You know, he's a doctor, so he probably takes very good notes. But this one, this chapter is called Sin, Faith, and Duty. Stay away from sin. All of us have uh, things we need to perform, and uh, we move by faith. Sometimes life isn't easy. Sometimes it's a major struggle. We keep our eyes on the cross. We keep focus on Jesus, and he will see it through. So anyways, in chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus said to his disciples, These saints may cause people to stumble, are bound to come. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourself. The Greek word for uh, struggle is actually skandilon. It means to set a trap or a snare, offensive or or a stumbling block for another believer. So God says, be careful what you do because uh, he's paying attention. And the problem with a lot of people... (coughs) Think about Paul having to go and to continue to teach the same thing from church in, church out, because he was fighting the same enemies from within. After Satan got Rome to quit killing the church, you know, then Satan just joined the church and tried to destroy it from the inside out. But if you take a picture of Paul, the Jewish people were always trying to bring up the law you got to be circumcised. you got to worship on Saturday. you got to do this. you got to do that. And then it burns people down. We're not here for a ritual of religious activities. We're here to grow in, in God. So the problem we have in a lot of the 
the churches, uh, you know, my mom recently passed away, and it was Catholic, and I really couldn't believe all, all the religious stuff they do. I haven't been in one since I was married <laughs> the first time, uh, and all the things you had to do just to get married in the Catholic church. And it seemed to me back then there was a lot of religious activity with no growth. And I was like, why? Where have we come from as a church where we can't pick up the word of God and read the word of God, take it to heart, and if we don't understand it, said, Father, can you please show me what this means? Every time I've asked God that, he would show me. Normally, it didn't happen immediately. Sometimes he spoke to me within a few minutes. But sometimes we would, me and my brother would be on the job site, and I was recently born again, and we'd be talking about a subject, any subject, let's say uh, baptism. And we'd go to church Sunday, and that was what the teaching was on was baptism. And we'd always smile because it was like God would always answer the questions we have. So you really don't need man to answer your questions. He can help you. But what we need to do is seek God out for ourselves. That's where you're going to grow. That's where you're going to do the best. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to put stumbling blocks into other believers. Nobody's perfect. And unfortunately, I've seen people in the ministry that like to put burdens on people and make it hard for them to do their Christian walk. And it was really sad. And I'm one of them kind of people that, I'll watch people, you know, see how they interact at times. And, and I watched this guy, and he always seemed to belittle people. And uh, one day he ended up going in children's church and started yelling out one of the teachers there. Well, my daughter was in that children's church, and I happened to be a children's pastor. So after service, I pulled him aside, and I said, you will never enter one of my classes again. She yelled at anybody, period. And what I got was, I am a righteous man of God. That's a prophet, and it's called to rebuke the church. I said, no, you're called to uplift the church. You're not here to abuse anybody. You will not abuse anybody. And don't you dare ever enter one of my classrooms with that attitude again. If you want to talk to him, you'll do it respectfully after he's out of class, not during one of my classes, period. It causes people to stumble. Nobody's perfect. So we got to work together as a church, and we will grow together, and we will learn together. But the first thing we got to understand is everybody's at a different level. Everybody's growing at a different pace. You know, there's like Pastor Jim, you look at his knowledge, it's like, wow, you know. Um, so there's people at all kinds of phases in the church, but we got to work together as a church. We're not going to always agree. But can we agree to disagree on small trivia matters that really don't matter? If it doesn't affect your soul, we don't have to get really excited about it. You know, God taught me years ago when I was on the job site, and uh, I think the guy was a Jehovah Witness, and we got into a big heated debate. And I'm a young Christian. I'm walking away with my chest stuck out like I won some grand prize. And as I was walking away, God spoke to me. He goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm defending the gospel. He said, you don't need to defend it. It stood 2,000 years without you. It'd be okay. And right then I knew that God did not call me to argue or to debate, but he called me to be a witness. And that's what everybody is here. So, if we're going to be good stewards of our walk, as 16 says, then there's some things we need to do. We need to be careful of how we treat others. Let's not be a stumbling block. Let's not be the reason somebody else trips or falls or walks away. Jesus made a warning, careful what you do. Paul fought this battle when, from circumcision to Saturday worship to all kinds of Jewish holidays, you have to do this. And Paul said, no, no, no. You are saved 
simply by the grace of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and there is no other way. I don't care what part of the law you kept. You failed on certain aspects of the law. But by the grace of God, if you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're now saved. So we can all agree we're saved by grace. So let's keep that at the forefront. And let's not lie any more burdens on other people. And let us continue. But in Romans 14, it says the same thing. It's, uh, Romans 14, 13 said, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Why? Stumbling block. Well, who does she think he is? Or who does he think he is? We have no right to judge anybody. I promise you, nobody ever grew up wanting to be an alcoholic or a drug addict. That wasn't their goal. Satan just got a little tighter grip on them. All they need to do is repent. Judgment is something we shouldn't do among one another. But he says in Romans 14, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother and sister. And I have to say, I've seen people that were really cruel calling themselves born-again Christians and treating people horribly, especially those that are not saved. And when I approach them, say, whoa, 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 God's called us to love. They rebuked me. Doesn't the scripture say, love one another as I have loved you? God so loved the world. God is love. That is our example, not calling people to judgment, not pointing out other people's sin. I need to worry about my own life than picking out other people's lives. So God's called the standard of a Christian to walk a lot better than the world has walked. Our standard is higher. Jesus lived in perfection. He wants us to focus in on perfection. And I'm going to tell you how you get there. You get there by loving one another, loving your neighbor as yourself, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Then you'll have a chance of reaching perfection because without those two, you don't have no chance. And I'm going to throw another one in there for you is uh, forgive. It's hard to love somebody if you can't forgive them. It's a tough one, I know. I've seen it in a lot of areas, and it's really where the rubber hits the road for a Christian. Well, you don't know how my mom was. You don't know how my dad was. You don't know what they did to me. I know. I don't, but God does. I've heard about every excuse there was. I was raised in a violent alcoholic household. I'm no longer violent. I don't drink. And I forgave my mom a long time ago. That's where rubber meets the road. It's not saying, oh, I forgive you, but in the church, there should be forgiveness. How did Jesus say 70 times 70? 490 times a day? I don't know if I can sin that much against you, and I'll try real hard not to. So, If you have a question or you want to add, please raise your hand. This isn't uh, just for me. Let's just try to stay on topic. All right, so let's continue. If your brother or your sister sins against you, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. Even if their sin is against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. That's Romans 14, 13 also. Forgiveness is what we should strive for. Now, in saying that, I'm not saying you have to run back for more punishment. Forgiveness means not to want revenge. See how that works? It's not to want revenge. Because I'm going to tell you, when people used to do me wrong, I really liked the revenge part. Now I just place it in God's hands. So that one's for you. Uh, revenge is not ours. It's never ours to repay. 
Jesus said, let me worry about that. You worry about you. Um, and I found out that when I uh, learned to continue, continue, to continue to forgive, and I'm talking about worldly people, I can't expect a worldly person to act godly. I just can't. Um, there were several guys on the work uh, job site, and I remember one of them coming up to me one day and said, I can't believe you'll even talk to me. And I said, ah, that's another job, another, another time. We won't worry about it. We became uh, acquaintances pretty good, and he became born again. And I pondered back many a times if I would have been an idiot to him when he was causing me all this grief in the office with the bosses, if he had ever got saved. God's not going to hold me responsible for his actions. But as a Christian, he's going to hold me responsible for my reaction. So uh, since then, I've ran on to him several times. Now we see each other. We smile. We talk about Jesus. We have a good time. Forgiveness isn't always the easiest path. And if we're struggling with it, then we need to take it to God and pray and say, help me. Forgive them. Give me your love for them. Or at least help me out so I can be cordial with them. Ephesians 4, 15 said, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, and that is Christ. Forgiveness. Anybody here ever need to be forgiven? I think one of the hardest ones that I've dealt with people were other people with abusive uh, parents. Whether they were verbally abusive, physically abusive. My mom was both at times. Um, uh, you know, I got through it. And I've actually talked to other people that went through it. When the scripture says, honor your mother and father, that it will go well with you. He didn't say if they deserved it. If you think they, you should. He said honor. That's a, a tough pill to swallow when you've been abused. And I've talked to this, uh, men that ha had it worse than me that were abused a lot more than me. Um, got to lead their parents to Christ. Interesting. So honor your mother and father is a commandment. It's not something we should take lightly. And uh, I remember when my kids used to get rebellion, I go uh, rebellious in their teens. I said, do you know what the opposite of uh, honor your mother and father go well with you? Do you know what the opposite of well is? It's bad. So I suggest you learn to listen. Um, and that's something for all of us, because I don't know anybody that had perfect parents. I've seen very good parents. I remember one day sitting in a church service and trying to learn to love my wife. I didn't have a good example at home. Matter of fact, it was a bad example. It was, uh, like I said last week, you can make your house a sanctuary or you can make a battleground. And unfortunately, my parents' uh, marriage for the longest time was a battleground. Then they both got saved. They still didn't mature enough to never have no battles. <laughs> they still had quite a few battles. Um, but th that battleground is where we need to pray. We really need to seek the, the peace of God. And I remember looking at, I would watch pastors and their wives, and I'd see how they treat their wives, because I want to love my wife properly. You know, the, all, all your TV shows back then weren't really good at loving your wife. You know, so uh, my dad wasn't a great example of loving your wife and uh, submitting one to another. And uh, so the examples growing up were, were bad. So now i got to figure out, because the Scripture says, Love your wife. How do I love my wife? I know that sounds silly, but I didn't know how to love my wife. I knew how to put on the boxing glove, yell, scream, holler, and duck everything came my way, but I didn't know how to love my wife. I know that sounds strange, but that's the kind of environment I grew up in. 
So I'd watch the pastors and their wife. And fortunately for me, every pastor I was ever under were wonderful with their kids, wonderful with their wives, you know, and I was amazed because I wanted to be the best parent I could. And I wanted to be the best husband I could. And so I would watch them. And I remember one day sitting there and I was watching a pastor and his wife and the way they talk to their kids. And I thought to myself, I wish I was raised in a Christian household so that could be my example. And immediately God rebuked me. You know, you'd think that would be a good thing. But he goes, I gave you your mother and father. They made you who you are for my glory. I didn't think I did anything wrong. But looking back, I did. So I apologize to God. And I realized the lessons I learned growing up that way were lessons I could help others get through. But being from a screaming household and working on the job site where guys like to scream a lot, when they scream, I'm not really intimidated. And I've actually had bosses say, well, I don't know why you're just not intimidated of me. Matter of fact, we had this guy named Fred. He, he looked exactly like John Denver. I pictured John Denver shorter, but he wore those same glasses, and people would come in, they go, you look like, you look like, and he'd nod his head, John Denver. And they go, yeah, you look exactly like John Denver. Well, he was German. And so one day we were at a parts counter, and Fred was down there, and I was over here, and we are not even looking at each other. And he was very blunt because he was German. I don't know how many Germans you guys know that are the old Germans. They're straightforward and blunt. And I used to be that rude and blunt before, too, because that's the household I grew up in. And we were sitting there, and uh, Fred goes, you know, I intimidate everybody that works for us. Okay. He goes, but you, I don't understand why. Without looking at him, I go, Fred, I'm German. And he goes, ah, that's why. Because I understood the culture. And most of the time when Germans, if you see them in Germany, they'll get real close to each other, and you think they're going to drop the gloves and fight, and they're trying to get their point across. It's not a very good witness. It doesn't work in America. You're going to get a black eye, so I suggest you don't do it. But a lot of times, the things you go through, God can use to glorify him, not you. You can help somebody out that went through the same thing, learn to be an overcomer, whether it's alcohol or drugs or abuse or whatever it is. So we have to keep our eyes on God and learn from our lessons in life that are a lot, uh, they can be very hard to help other people. We're one body. And if we see somebody in sin, we say, hey, we don't talk that way no more. We don't act that way. Hey, come along. Let me share some things with you. But we can do it in a manner that's out of love than say, going up there and saying, shut up. You see what I'm saying? We don't have to be rude. We can walk in love, have them come along. But let me tell you something. There's nothing that you've been through that God doesn't know. And he can use every dark, deep secret, not only to help you, but also to help others. Okay. So we'll get back over to the 17th chapter of Luke, verse 6. Let me back up here. I think I went one too far. The apostles said to you, it's five. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Small faith can accomplish great things in our Savior's hands. Does that make sense? Jesus said, without me, you can do what? Nothing. He said, if you ask in whose name? My name. So Jesus said, if it's you're praying according to my will, my name. So small faith can go a long way. Let's aim our faith in the right direction. 
Let's make sure it's according to God's will. You know, I, I don't know why I have to tell people all the time, well, I prayed that God would send me that guy and he's not saved. Then you got the wrong guy. Does not the scripture said, do not be unequally yoked? I have watched several women over the years, some I counseled with, leave the church because they started dating a guy that was an atheist. And I'd say, no. Well, you don't know how he is. I don't need to. I understand the scripture. Do not be unequally yoked. It's not hard to figure out. Uh, that I know of neither uh, the last two I counseled. I don't think either of them are back in the church. They took off with the guys. Of course, they were creeps. They uh, treated them both harshly, and, and they're out of the church. Right where Satan wants you. All I have to do is turn back to God. God, forgive me. Uh, you want to see how small a mustard seed you need? How many of you have seen the risen Lord? How many of you have seen Jesus alive? But you had faith enough to pray the prayer of salvation, did you not? Small seed, big results. Am I wrong? You didn't have a lot of faith when you came to God. You had little faith, probably little hope. But you said a simple prayer, Jesus, I need you. Small faith. I think sometimes we need a little smaller faith than complicate things. All right. And then Jesus goes on, verse 7. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. While he says to the servant when he comes in the field, come along now and sit down and eat. Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? And after that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. And I think what God is trying to tell you here is don't get a big head when he uses you. I am nobody. Just trying to tell somebody about Jesus. Kind of like the song says, I'm a nobody trying to tell somebody about Jesus. We are not to puff ourselves up. We are not going to need to get prideful when God uses us. We just, I look up when he uses me and I say, thank you. You didn't have to, but I appreciate that you did. We can't be arrogant. There is always some ways we can serve Almighty God. Ministry can be taxing. It can be heavy. We do not do it for credit or for praise, but out of obedience. Everything should be done in love. When God uses you, just say thank you. You know, there's times someone come up and asks me a question, and I get to have a conversation about Scripture or the Bible. I walk away and I smile and say, Father, thank you. I like the opportunity to witness to people. So whenever God uses you, just remember we're just servants. Trying to point everybody in the right direction. Because there is only one way, and his name's Jesus. There is no other way. Today I read a part of an article where the Mormons decided that they got behind a bill to okay same-sex marriage. It is wrong in the eyes of God, simply put. Um, over the years, I've ran into several. Several I've worked, uh, two guys at their house, and um, I remember when I was going into the house to work, God spoke to me, and he said, do not judge them. I go, well, thank you for telling me they're gay out here, so I wouldn't be completely shocked when I walk in there. And they were. Uh, you know, I treated them like I treated anybody else. 
And I remember at the end, one of the guys lost his dad. And it opened up the door for me to be able to share the gospel of Jesus with him. But no condemnation. I got called to, uh, I got a phone call from the jail, Colorado Springs jail. And a young man that I worked with asked if I would come see him. I said, sure. They said, can you bring your ordination paperwork so we can make sure you're a minister? Well, I can print one off online. Do you really think that means anything? But I said, not a problem. I'll bring So I brought him copies of the ordination paperwork. And I remember sitting there, you know, there's people there. And God was speaking to me about all those people with loved ones locked up. And God said, you know, all these people love the people on the other side of the bars. They're people just like everybody else. And I remember a guy at work one day was talking about people in jail. And I go, okay, what's the difference of them being in jail except they were caught and we weren't? And the guy goes, yeah, I guess I shouldn't throw stones. No, you shouldn't. Anyways, the guy was uh, gay. I only worked with him once. He found out I was a minister. He was painting. I was doing other things. So I had small talk with him and everything. But uh, he ended up pushing narcotics, getting caught, and going to jail. And he asked if I would come in. So I said, sure. And I remember going through one bar. They locked that door. You go up the stairs. They go through another door to lock it. And you go through another door, and they lock it. And then the guy's on the other side of the glass. <laughs> I'll never get out of here. And I remember when I was sharing Christ with him. And he goes, well, you know, I'm into the zodiac signs and the stars and this. And I'm like, why look to the stars when you can look to the one who made the stars? And I said, dude, I'm going to make this as simple as possible. There's no other way for you to turn your life around outside of Christ Jesus. None whatsoever. I can't help you any other way except to tell you Jesus loves you. Get a Bible, start reading it. That's all I can do. I can pray for you. You're going to jail. I can't get you out of jail. You know, I got no clout. But what I can do is give you hope. It's only found in Christ. And uh, I don't know if I did too good. He never called me back. So nothing I can do. I'm not responsible for how they react. I'm only responsible for sharing the ministry. So every one of us is called to be a minister. Minister means servant. Some teach, some preach, some are prophets, some evangelists, some are just servants. Some have the hospitality of giving. We're all called to be servants, but you know how else we're all called to be? A witness. Remember this little light of mine? I'm going to let it shine. Let your light shine. That's what all of us can agree on is every one of us is called to be salt and light of the earth. So, if your light's going to shine brightly, put a smile on your face. I remember Terry Bradshaw, his dad was a Baptist preacher, told Terry, he goes, you're not fully dressed until you got a smile on your face. And I like that. Because everybody's seeing you frowning, why would they see any light? I don't want the guys to ever see me down in the dumps. I'll smile, I'll chat with them, say hello, but I always do my job because I'm a steward. I get paid to do a job. I always do my job. I've seen guys stop work and just witness the people for hours and hours, and it frustrated everybody else. I, tell, I would tell the guy, you need to work while you're talking to him. I can sell, share Jesus why I'm pounding a nail in the two-by-four. You don't have to stop and get their full attention. You need to be a light, but you need to do your job also because not only are you witnessing to him, but your actions is witnessing to the bosses. So do the best you can. Okay. Let's see. Jesus heals ten men with leprosy. Verse uh, 17, 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 
Ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They, they hung out together because they couldn't hang out with nobody else. If you had leprosy, you were on your own. You couldn't go in public so nobody else would get contagious. So you would have to literally scream if I was walking down the street and if Barry was coming the other way and I had leprosy, I'd have to scream out so he would know. And all I'd have to say is, unclean, unclean. And he'd know that he couldn't get near me. And if I didn't do it, I would be punished. So here's these ten leopards. They're going to hang out together. They've got nobody else to hang out with. And they're screaming out. But what amazes me, they knew who to scream out to. Rumors about Jesus went everywhere. There's not a doubt in my mind they were seeking Christ out. They want to be healed. A lot of people in the world want to be healed of other issues other than le leprosy, like emotional, physically. So a lot of healing that needs to take place. So here are these guys screaming out, and I love the idea that they knew who to scream out to. Because I guarantee you, if they screamed out Buddha, they'd be in the same place they were yesterday. Nothing wouldn't have changed. They knew who to scream out to. When you got an issue, cry out to the Lord. He'll hear you. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. The condition of their healing at this moment, was in their obedience. He said, go see the priest. They started heading that way. Hmm. They were cured. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Okay, here's a guy the Jewish people hated. They were part Jews but they weren't complete Jews. And the Jewish people totally disliked him. And the only one that could come back was a Samaritan. And look how he came back. When people get saved, you ever notice how they rejoice and they're so excited? And the church seems to mellow them out. I don't understand why. But I remember when people first get saved, I know they're so on fire of God, they want to tell everybody... And then it's the flame seems to dwindle. But there was no different with this guy. He was wanting to thank God. He was praising God, worshiping, fell at his feet and said, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Jesus marveled. All ten were cleansed. But only one came back praising God. Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. All of them were willing to go through a ceremonial ritual to go see the priest, offer the offering, and do everything according to the law. But only one was filled with worship. I feel like in some of the churches we've gotten to that, we'll do the ritual of church. And we'll do the ceremony of everything we're supposed to do. But where's our worship? Where's our praise? A couple of years ago, I watched a YouTube video of a praise and worship leader. And as it was going on, I looked around, and they'd show the congregation, and they were worshiping. A lot of people were crying, dancing. And, and then they turned, and they showed the leadership. And they were talking among themselves. And now and then, one of them might raise a hand. I was so appalled. I told myself, when I go to church, I will be example. 
of a worshiper. Or I won't go. If I'm an example of a minister, I want to be an example of a worshiper. We all need to be examples. I'm not afraid. Matter of fact, the first time I yelled hallelujah in this church, and I was over there saying amen, they said, Pastor Jim would like to see you after church. I was like, oh boy, they're going to ask me to leave. And he went back there, sat by the table, and he goes, are you Dwayne? I go, yes, sir. He goes, well, I want to thank you so much for encouraging me out there. I really appreciate it. I didn't want to go nowhere else. I just wanted to go somewhere where I can worship God and be me. I don't want to go here and do a religious ceremony and be fit in with the Pharisees, the Sadducees. I want to come here and just be me and just worship God. That's why I come to the house of the Lord. Gaylene tell you, I'll play music at home. I'll worship at home. I don't care. But when I come here, I want a group worship. I like to look around and see everybody worshiping and giving glory to the one place it's due. So I promise you, as much as I come here, unless God calls me anywhere else, I will do the best I can at worshiping, even when I'm hurting or not feeling like it. And I told myself I'm not going to be a hypocrite. If I can worship at home, I can worship in the sanctuary. And I'm not saying everybody has to dance or yell hallelujah or glory or anything like that. Be a worshiper. That's where it will set you free. In Psalms 100 verse 4, it says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. We enter his gates now by the blood of the Lamb. Understand that, so don't misinterpret anything I'm saying. We have the right because we're blood-bought, born-again children of God. But if you want to get in the presence of God, learn to worship like David worshipped. Learn to worship. It will do you so much good spiritually. Learn to worship. That might be tricky, but I'm telling you, Learn to worship. Worship is when you can slowly block everything out, all the bad things during the week, all the things you're struggling with, and you can finally push it far enough away that you can focus up on the one that can change your circumstance. That's where worship comes in. Enter his gates with thanksgiving because you're bought by the blood of the Lamb. I'm going to add a little bit there, so... Uh, that ain't the full scripture, but you're bought by the blood of the Lamb. So enter his gates with thanksgiving into his courts or into his presence with praise. That's where you'll find your ultimate peace. Okay. And it looks like one of the guys with leprosy found it. Verse 20. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Hmm. I thought about that. At that moment and point of time, Christ was right in front of them in their midst. Today, he's in us by the Holy Spirit, in our Missed. I read that and I thought that's interesting because at that moment in time Christ was the one talking to him and said you don't need the kingdom of God I'm right in front of you we have the spirit right inside of us if you have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior you have the Holy Spirit so guess what you're in his midst to me that sounds pretty impressive you can be there anytime you want. I couldn't believe when I read that. He's in your midst. Jesus, I'm right here. 
You don't need to look for the kingdom of God anywhere. I am right here. And he said, I would not leave you as orphans, but I will send you the Holy Spirit. Didn't he say where two or three are gathered together? One, two, three. I can count as high as three, so I'm good there. So there's more than three of us here, correct? I remember that song, I'm sure Ed would, The Lord Your God Is In Your Midst. The Lord Your God Who Saves. I ain't going to sing it. <laughs> Anyways, we will move on from that. 22. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Uh, talk about the cross. 27th chapter of Matthew, it says, then he released, Bar uh, it's not the 27th, it's Matthew. But anyways, let me find that. But it's about the crucifixion. We'll just read part of it anyways. He said, then he released Barabbas to them. And when he had what had been scourged, they scourged Jesus. They delivered him to be crucified. Do you know what it took to fill all these prophecies of being pierced in the side, whipped, hung on a cross, riding a mule, virgin birth? Three of them are crazy. Every one of them, impossible. Only one fulfilled all those prophecies, and that's Christ. Only one. And I'm not going to read no more on the crucifixion. But I do want to say this. As salt and light of the earth, you are commanded to forgive. Jesus said, if you will not forgive men their trespasses on you, I will not forgive your sins. That's straightforward. Can't get any more direct than that. Some of us have a burden that we need to lay aside. It might be something long, long ago. But God's telling you to let it go. Let it go. The only one it's holding back is you. Unfortunately, a lot of times when someone's done us wrong, they're not losing no sleep over it. Some of them probably don't even know they did you wrong. If they did, they probably don't really care. But the burden on the unforgiveness will dim your light that you are called to shine with, with that pretty smile. So all of us this week, put your pretty smile on, let your light shine, and be a witness. Amen? Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, this wasn't exactly the direction I planned to go. It just seemed what was on my heart, Father. Father, I thank you for everybody here, and I thank you for using me, Father. But, Father, we need you. I pray that you would help all of us, Father God, to walk in love, 